You're listening to Malka Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. A medical files and alhamdulillah with the podcast that's going through and the amount of hits that we get on our medical files. We are truly grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that and someone that we should thank for this continuation of this program is none other than, you know, our very own Dr. Faru Kafiji, who is such an integral part of this program. And as you all know, Dr. Faru Kafiji is a specialist family physician, very popular indeed, and alhamdulillah has been on radio and many other uh, you know platforms on medical shows and also hosting it. Dr. Faru Kafiji, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening? Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Shafat, and to your listeners, alhamdulillah, um, everything is going well, and uh, we in Durban have had quite a bit of rain over the weekend, uh, and it's clearing now, so uh, we should be okay. Al- Alhamdulillah, absolutely, Doctor, you know, and uh, we've got a whole medley of questions uh, that will be, uh, uh, or the topics uh, that we'll be addressing uh, this evening. And, you know, we're going to talk about uh, preparations for Ramadan, uh, and we'll talk about people with the high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, heartburn, reflux, dental issues, and prostate problems, and so forth. But uh, before we get to that, Doctor, you know, you're a family physician, uh, you know, the psychology of the family fabric and all that. You know, we had this horrendous... Uh, earthquake in uh, Turkey and uh, the different emotions that we're seeing, even if we are watching these video clips, uh, you know, we are so heavily affected uh, with all this. Talk to us about, uh, you know, the dimension, the individual, uh, 45 seconds, it only took him to lose his family members or people to lose their life. 45 seconds, they lost their whole life savings, earnings and everything. They lost their buildings, they lost their businesses, they lost their cars, they lost everything. Talk to us about that dimension, how it affects uh, you know, individuals, and uh, perhaps uh, how important it is for us to be, you know, forearmed and forewarned, uh, Doctor? Yes, uh, it is a devastating situation uh, that has occurred, uh, and it's not only for the people who are uh, who have experienced this uh, devastation, uh, but it's also for a whole lot of other people that are involved uh, in that situation, uh, for, for rescue workers, for humanitarian workers, for, for the doctors that are working in the hospitals there, or what's left of the hospitals, for people around there who have survived, uh, people who have lost their, uh, their close family members. And in fact, it spreads throughout the world because we also feel uh, very strongly about it and, and seeing the images coming from there, uh, it does affect people and it, and it can be quite traumatic and emotionally upsetting for even people uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of kilometers away. Yeah, sad indeed, uh, Doctor, as you said, they're far away and, uh, you know, the psychological impact on that and even, I mean, looking at the, uh, uh, you know, at Erdogan's face and he, uh, Allah, he didn't look so, you know, you can't blame him. He looked down and out and here we had Qatar, uh, you know, sending in, uh, I think, uh, over 10,000 homes made of containers, beautiful plushed homes. Uh, that they brought there with some cash and so forth. I mean, showing true brotherhood, and you know, you could see there were uh, the Qatari ruler was holding, uh, you know, um, uh, in, in 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 a very warm embrace with uh, Erdogan, and uh, you know that really touched it. Uh, showed that you know Muslims care for each other, uh, Doc. Yes, fortunately, uh, the Qataris used the temporary homes that they used for the World Cup. 
that's the ones mm. that were already there. And people who were the visitors and also fam- family members or players, uh, they were using those temporary uh, homes. And uh, I, it was just an opportune moment uh, for uh, for Qataris to use this opportunity uh, to donate those homes uh, because they wouldn't have been used now after the World Cup. So um, it just, uh, you know, it just falls into place quite nicely. So Alhamdulillah. Uh, and, you know, uh, the donations are coming from all over. But, uh, you know, uh, this is going to take a while to, to, to sort out. Uh, it's going to take months and sometimes maybe even years uh, before people get their homes, uh, people reestablish their lives. Uh, people are going to be uh, needing funds. They, they will be needing food. They will be needing shelter uh, for months and months and months to come. Uh, so I think we need we need to all uh, n- not only donate now, but we need to really uh, donate on on a on a monthly basis or every two months, uh, because this is going to be an ongoing humanitarian crisis that's going to unfold as the as the months go, uh, as people start uh, collecting their thoughts and collecting themselves and and trying to work out what they what they need to do. As you so rightly said, you know, overnight people lost uh, their their whole livelihood. You know. Uh, the people have lost their jobs, people have lost their businesses, uh, everything has gone to, to, to nothing, you know, and uh, uh, all the stocks in the shops have all gone. Uh, you know, it's, it's really mind-boggling if you think about it. Uh, it's uh, something that, uh, uh, that we cannot even imagine. Uh, we can see it, but we not experiencing it firsthand. It's difficult for us to put ourselves uh, in their shoes, but... It's 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 uh, psychologically is really really very traumatic, um, and uh, you can see even the people who are being rescued, uh, they you can see how tra- how traumatized they are. Can you imagine stuck in a in a in in a, in in a, in, a, in a place in a space surrounded by rocks and sand, and you got no light, completely dark, pitch black. Uh, you can't see anything. You can't hear anything, and uh, it's like a cupboard. You know, you you are you are in. In, a, in, in complete uh, isolation, and uh, you know it's, it's really frightening to even think about that. Uh, so we really feel sorry for those people who had who had experienced that and have come out uh, uh, come out alive. You know, and it's going to take them months of therapy uh, and and um, uh, allowing them to talk about it, and allowing them to uh, to realize that they have survived, and Allah, Allah Taala has made it possible for them to continue living. Uh, and uh, for them to start leading a normal life again. <clears throat> you know, Doctor, you make a lot of sense, and you said that people that have survived, and you know, you just triggered something in my brain. Uh, people having near-death experiences, what it does to them, uh, uh, Doctor, you know, I think, you know, I've heard uh, people going into theater and they found that their uh, rule had left them and they could see their body and they could see the operation happening, but some miracle happened and they came back. Uh, wh- how do you console these people that, you know, have been through this uh, traumatic experience, but they survived it? And, you know, uh, many would say it was like a near-death experience, uh, doctor. Yeah, people who have experienced a near-death uh, situation uh, have a life-changing experience. They, they suddenly realize what life is all about, which we should be we should be realizing now. And that is our purpose in this world. And our purpose in this world is solely to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you see that life-changing experience coming forward uh, in these in these uh, in these situations where, where people have near-death experiences. Suddenly they realize that all the 
uh, assets that they have, all the money that they have uh, is worthless, absolutely worthless, because uh, it will just, for them, for them, it will come to nothing, because they will leave this world with nothing. And so they, they, there is a, in people who have had a near-death experience, and most of them would really sit and work out what they need to do and what, what they what they want to do uh, and uh, reorganize their lives in such a way that they take all the clutter out of their lives and lead a far, far more simple life. Doctor, the point you made, uh, clutter, and, uh, you know, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Clutter means that uh, you're hoarding and you're keeping and you're what? What are you hoarding for? Why you got this? I mean, your home should be spacious. Nothing should be there. Ornaments and this, that, and gold bars from here and that from there and this carpet from there. Uh, that is clutter, doctor. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. You see, you, all that is meaningless, absolutely meaningless. And even if you have a, a very expensive car, uh, you just think about it and say to yourself, why, am I, why have I got this car? Why am I driving this car? What for? You know, because I can drive a simpler car and still get from one, one point to another point. So you really, with a, after a near-death experience, people usually simplify their lives very, very much. And, and they usually donate a lot of money uh, away because they realize that, uh, that, that uh, you know, this, 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 uh, what, what they have been doing, uh, chasing after money or, 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 or looking, uh, looking at worldly things, it doesn't really make any difference. At the end, it doesn't make any difference. So there's a, a, re, a refocus of life. And I think, you know, without without with us without us even experiencing that, we should all refocus and ask ourselves, what do we really need, and what do we really what do we really have? All those other things that we really have, which we are not using, uh, we should really you know think about it and 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 uh, make somebody else happy uh, with those things. Absolutely, and uh, the hand that gives is better than the hand that receives, and uh, you know. To be selfless is a beautiful quality indeed. Now, Doctor, we are so fortunate that in the House of Islam, uh, we have this beautiful event coming through. Halan wa salan, ya Ramadan. You are honored uh, the month of the noble Quran. And it is as if, you know, when the ship is out at sea for 11, uh, you know, for 11 months of the year, facing the perils of the sea and going down and getting all scraped and the engine, you know, needs a, a rehaul. So it comes into the dry docks and there, for that month, the ship is uh, shined, uh, uh, the, the rust taken off and resprayed, uh, the engine uh, overhauled and so forth. And after a month of uh, doing this uh, overhaul, the ship is uh, set to sail again. The same analogy can be used for Ramadan. You know, here it comes and we are sheltered for that one month with this beautiful month. And, you know, uh, the topic that we will talk about and, uh, you know, preparation for Ramadan. Uh, you know, bring that into perspective, uh, Doctor. That is a very, very, very beautiful analogy, uh, Shafat. It's, uh, you know, exactly uh, that's what Allah Ta'ala has, has uh, given us this one month uh, to really purify ourselves, not only spiritually, but physically as well. Uh, we, can, we can really get a lot of benefit from this month of Ramadan. Like, like any like any big event, like a, uh, like a um, wedding coming up 
or like a marathon race that you are going to be running or a cycle race that you are going to be taking part in, any big event uh, needs preparation. They, you need to prepare. You need to prepare a month or two in advance uh, to make sure that you've got everything in place so that nothing goes wrong during that event. So in the same way, with Ramadan coming up, now is the time for us to look at ourselves and say, what do we have to do to prepare ourselves for Ramadan spiritually and physically to make sure that we have a smooth month of fasting and we can make maximum use of the time that we have during Ramadan to make maximum ibadah and please Allah Ta'ala to the best of our ability. And so, so the preparation for Ramadan, uh, like any big event, the preparation for Ramadan is absolutely, uh, you know, it's, it's something that will really prepare you uh, to experience Ramadan in the true spirit in which it is meant. Now, Doctor, there are those individuals, uh, I know you, mashallah, you're, I mean, you, uh, for me, you're a wali Allah. Uh, you know, you get those individuals that will say, hey, alan was alan ya Ramadan, they look forward to that, they embrace it, and they like saying, yay, alhamdulillah, it's Ramadan, the kids are excited. But then you get those uh, individuals that sharp, sharp, they're looking for excuses. Hey, my BP is up. Hey, I got sugar problem. And uh, looking for any excuse not to fast. How do you analyze these people and what, how do we frighten them into fasting, doctor? I mean, let's try something. No, I, think, I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, we have a spectrum of uh, Iman. Uh, we have a spectrum that uh, you can look at the spectrum goes from from weak to strong. Uh, and so it depends where you are. And it's a good idea that you've asked this question. It's a good idea for us to check to see where are we on this Iman meter? If I can, if I can, if I can, use, if I can use that term, where is our, where is our Iman? Where, where, where is the needle pointing? Uh, from very weak iman, where we don't worry too much about salah, we don't read the Quran, uh, we, we, we dress as, as we feel like, uh, we're not too particular about things, we're not, not following the sunnah of Rasulullah and we are Muslims, but we are not doing all of these things, which means that uh, your taqwa, uh, your fear of Allah is, very, is not there, and, and you are not, uh, so that's weak iman. And then a very strong iman would be on the other side where you you are you are you got taqwa you you are real sincere fear of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and you want to follow the full commandments of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and you need you need to live a life of sunnah absolute like like Rasulullah and the and the Sahaba and and that's that would be very strong iman uh, and and that when you reach that stage of iman you'd love to perform salah and you would love to fast and you would love to read the Quran uh, because that means that now your iman is very strong. And I'm not a Molana or an Alim or anything of that sort, but uh, if you look at this, this iman meter that I call, uh, you need to find out each individual on their own. Nobody can, I can't tell you where you are and you can't tell me where I am, but you can tell yourself where you are in this meter. Where are you? I mean, and, and the idea for us would be to better ourselves. Wherever we are, we need to better ourselves. And and, and as Rasulullah Sallallahu uh, you know, he, he was at the top level of Iman. And yet he used to make, he used to read Salah until his feet swelled. And he used to fast and extra fast in Shaban and, and, and during the year. 
And uh, remember the, the hadith of uh, Aisha radiallahu anha, uh, which says that she, she asked Rasulullah some, you know Allah Ta'ala favors you and you're going to go to Jannah and Allah Ta'ala has forgiven you. Why are you still performing all these things? You don't really need to. You can now sail across and you'll be okay. And he, what did he say? He said, no, I need to make shukar to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala for the namas that he's given me. So now, we, now, now that means you've gone beyond the full iman spectrum. You've gone, you've gone above that. Now you are doing it for the pleasure of Allah. Now you're doing it to please Allah Ta'ala. You don't want to displease Allah Ta'ala because now you, your iman is so strong. So you, we, we all need to reach that stage. We all need to reach that stage where we love to read Quran. We love to make us, uh, salah. We look, look forward to salah times. And we look forward to fasting because you know you're doing it for the pleasure of Allah. You know, you said that so beautifully, and it reminds me of this anecdote. He that knows his heart, he knows himself. And he that knows himself, he knows his Lord. And as you said, uh, you look at your iman, uh, you know, meter. And I, I like that. I like that a lot because it's, uh, you know, you're either playing with your iman. You can be in the championship league. You can be in the premier league or you can be in the Vela League, or you can be a schoolboys league, but it's uh, Ramadan, and you know, you can see that uh, we should be at the optimum, because uh, we follow Atiullah, wa Atiul Rasul, obeying Allah, and obeying His Messenger, but as uh, we get into Ramadan, and uh, you know, the, the, the importance now, we, you know, we do have a few more days uh, where we can uh, psychologically uh, prepare ourselves uh, for Ramadan, but also physically, Doc, I mean, that uh, that is very important, because generally that first week, if you didn't prepare yourself from now, you're going to have a, 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 a hard time physically. But spiritually, it's uh, alhamdulillah, smooth, very smooth sailing, uh, doctor. Yes, if we prepare ourselves like, uh, like, uh, like, without, like we would prefer, uh, prepare for any other event, uh, if we prepare ourselves and make sure that our health is good and our health is not going to be an obstruction to fasting, that's the aim. And we have about five weeks to go uh, before Ramadan starts. And so now is the time for us to reassess ourselves and say, what is wrong with my body that would stop me from fasting or that would make it difficult for me to fast? What is it uh, that I need to look, look out for? What, what is it that I need to fix now? Because I've got five weeks to fix it. So I need to be in peak physical, physical condition before Ramadan. Peak physical condition before Ramadan so that I can take full advantage of the spiritual benefits of Ramadan. And that's where we should be heading, and that's how we should be thinking now, five weeks before Ramadan. Yeah, definitely, uh, Doctor. And uh, one of the most important things is, uh, you know, when you get into Ramadan, uh, your intake of liquids, uh, you're cutting down on. I mean, some people uh, make seri for, uh, with, with, with tea. If they don't have the tea for the day, they end up with headaches and all that. So, you know, the preparation uh, take us into that, uh, Doctor. You know, we're getting ready for uh, Ramadan. And uh, how would you tell us, right, this is the way, this is uh, the do's and don'ts, uh, Doctor? Well, I think I think at the moment, uh, uh, the people who prepare food in the house are, are actually uh, uh, preparing things for Ramadan. They're packing their freezers uh, with foods that they are going to use uh, during Ramadan. Uh, that's a good idea. That's a very good idea because you are going to pre- you are you are going to save time preparing all these things uh, during Ramadan, and you can use that extra time during Ramadan where you, where you don't need to prepare all these foods at that time. You can use that time to for better ibadah for 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 more time to spend in the worship of Allah, of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. 
But there are certain things that you need to watch out for because some of the things that we eat during Ramadan actually hinders us, actually makes makes the fasting a bit more difficult and makes it uh, 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 makes it uh, a bit cumbersome for us uh, to to negotiate uh, all the challenges that that occur. Uh, during the month of Ramadan. And now, if we think about all these savories that we are making now, all the samosas and pies and all the whatever else people are making now and putting into their freezers, they need to think about two things. One of the things that they need to think about is the, the filling that they are using. What kind of filling is, the, is, is in those pies and in those samosas? It should be lean meat. It should not be fatty meat. It should be lean meat, healthy meat, so that uh, uh, your your fam- your family members, your your children, your your husband, your your uh, whoever else is in the house, uh, can have a proper uh, 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 you know fat-free uh, uh, meat or chicken or whatever it is that you are putting into there. So the so the filling is very important, and it mustn't be oily because oil creates a problem during Ramadan. It delays stomach emptying, it causes heartburn, it causes reflux uh, and bloatedness. So that's not what you want. So the filling is very important. The other thing is, the second thing is that how are you going, what are you going to do to, to when you are doing Ramadan to, to, uh, to make it uh, edible? So you can either fry it or you can bake it or you can put it into an air fryer. Now, frying is the worst thing that you can do because with frying, the oil is soaked into the savory. And then if you're eating the savory, no matter how healthy the filling was, you have now spoiled it because there's now oil gone into that, into that filling and into the whole samosa uh, or whatever else that you are frying. Uh, and, you know, um, that, that will create the problem. So rather make the savories in such a way that you can either bake them or you can put them in an air fryer. And that would be a much, much healthier uh, alternative uh, to frying. So think about that now while you are preparing your savories to, to, to make sure uh, that you, that preparation of the thing when it's ready uh, should be very easy. Uh, you know, frying, you have to stand there and, and, and turn the samosas and watch them, watch it and watch the oil. With the air fryer, uh, if you have one, uh, you can... Just leave it. I mean, put it on for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and do whatever else you want. Read Quran, make zikr, whatever else you want. It just does it automatically. So, so again, there's a, it's a time-saving thing. Uh, but, the, but the main thing is that it's a much healthier way of uh, of eating things uh, during Ramadan. So here again, you know, throughout the year, you may have some savories here and there. But during Ramadan, for some reason, people have savories every day. And so the, the important thing is we must make sure that the savories that we have during Ramadan are healthy and the preparation is easy. And of course, the preparation itself doesn't cause a problem. Making a lot of sense there, doctor. And, you know, the importance of Ramadan or some of the benefits of Ramadan, you know, it's, uh, it protects us from obesity. Uh, it improves our blood sugar levels and it should uh, improve our digestive system. And uh, these uh, should be the benefits of Ramadan. But it seems as if, you know, we're doing a lot of things wrong because uh, we notice that uh, our sugar levels, uh, you know, we, we, we're letting it go out of control. Our digestive system, uh, I mean, uh, why is it that most of uh, us, we start, uh, suffer from constipation when we get into fasting mode, uh, doctor? 
Yeah, uh, constipation during Ramadan is caused by a few things. The one thing that uh, is lacking in our body when we are fasting is water, and, and we need water in our bowel to flush it out uh, to make sure that the stools are loose and it doesn't get hard and it, it's not, you're not constipated. So, so hydration during Ramadan is very important uh, to, to, to prevent constipation. Uh, the, other reason, the other thing that happens with, with the reason for constipation is that we change our foods. We change our, our diet completely from the normal diet that we used to have. Uh, and so because of that, there's an impact on the bowel. Uh, the bowel doesn't function very well because it's not, it's not used to the new foods that you're putting in, uh, which you used to be eating before. A lot of people, when you have cereals in the morning with, a, with high fiber cereals, uh, during Ramadan for the whole month, they won't have the cereals. They'll have curry for seri or they'll, they'll have some pies or whatever it is for seri. And again, you're not getting that fiber that you're supposed to get. And, 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 and of course, during um, out of Ramadan, you may eat fruit and salads. And suddenly during Ramadan, uh, you're, you're not eating the fruit that you used to eat and you're not having salads anymore. Uh, so again, you're not getting the fiber that's in, that's in the fruit and vegetables that, uh, that, that you would need to make your, your, your bowel work. Uh, the other thing is when you're fasting, uh, because you're not eating for 12 hours, or just over 12 hours, um, your body recognizes that uh, you're not getting food for that period of time. And, and because of that, our metabolism decreases. Uh, metabolism, uh, because of metabolism decreases, everything in your body slows down. And of course, uh, with, with the slowing down of our body, the bowel also slows down, and that also contributes to the constipation. And the other thing is that, yeah, you know, we need physical activity to keep our bowel going. You find that if you walk, if people who walk regularly have a regular bowel motion because the exercise of walking helps the bowel to work. But because in, in Ramadan, uh, we are not so physically active, um, so we are, we are sitting down more, we're not walking so much, we stop our exercises, and so the bowel also slows down. So there's quite a few things that happen uh, that that makes our bowel uh, slower. That, uh, that's the reason what, why we have uh, a constipation. So you, knowing all that, we can turn things around. We can make sure that, look, we, we are getting some walking done some part of the day, some activity that we can do uh, at, uh, in, a, in a place where, uh, where you're not in the hot sun, uh, you are indoors in air conditioned if possible, and you can walk, no problem. Uh, and that will not create, a, create a, a major problem for you. And of course, as far as drinking water is concerned, you make sure that you are very well hydrated overnight so that you start the day with your tank absolutely full of water uh, so that you, you, you know, you've got your, your body has enough water. And, uh, and as far as the fruit and vegetables are concerned, make sure you, you have your salad every night uh, at iftar time. Have a bowl of salad with all the different colors of vegetables uh, in, in it and have some fruit after iftar. And, and that's uh, and after Tarawi, sorry. After Tarawi, you can have some fruit and that will help also uh, with your digestion and with your uh, with your, um, with your, uh, with your bowel movement. Uh, so we, we need to just plan ourselves and fit all these things in uh, during Ramadan, uh, which for some reason people stop doing all these things and that's, that's what creates the problem. You know, Doc, uh, also you get uh, some very magnanimous uh, supermarkets uh, they, in Ramadan. They bring down the price of bananas virtually you know, next to nothing. And they say bananas 
how important is is it for us? I mean, I'm a big fan of bananas uh, when it comes to seri time, and uh, is it a good habit having two bananas and uh, maybe some, uh, you know, uh, tea or something with uh, with seri? But how important is bananas? And uh, bless those uh, brothers uh, that bring down the price of bananas and also milk, uh, Doctor Faru Kapiji. Yes, bananas are quite healthy. It's a healthy fruit. Uh, it has fiber in it, uh, and it has potassium in it, which our body needs. Uh, and of course, uh, the other thing is it's it's it's, it's very rich in calories. Uh, and of course, with bananas, uh, as it turns from green to ripe, the calorie level is not very high. The the riper it gets, the higher the calorie content. So, uh, so you got to be careful now if you're a diabetic. Uh, you can't eat uh, you can't eat very ripe bananas because the sugar content will be very high. So for a diabetic, they should be eating bananas that are just turning from green to yellow, which is which is they're just beginning to get ripe. In that with that banana, uh, the the content of sugar in it is not as high as it would be uh, if it is fully ripe. So that's one of the things. But a, a banana is is fine. I don't know why people eat bananas, but uh, Ramadan, um, uh, you know. Uh, but it, it's it's okay. It's no problem. Uh, it's it's a good fruit to have. Yes, uh, doctor. You know, you also find that you know Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala really makes it the people that have been blessed or endowed with wealth. Uh, suddenly, their hearts have become even softer, and uh, they go out and you know they give out money to the poor people. Uh, I mean, sometimes they adopt a family and they provide for everything. And, uh, you know, uh, psychologically, uh, Ramadan plays such an important role in the minds of every Muslim. But even no matter how hard-hearted the individual is, but Ramadan has that uh, that, that power of, you know, melting that heart. Uh, why is that so, Doctor? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who puts that into our hearts. It's mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who makes it possible for us uh, to be like that. And, 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 it's, it's, and, and it's, a, you know, it's a way in which we need to learn from it and say that uh, we need to be like that for the rest of the year as well. Uh, not, after Ramadan, we shouldn't change back to what we were before. We should remain the way we were during Ramadan. And, and, and it's a learning curve. Ramadan is a way in which uh, Allah Ta'ala makes it possible for us to zero all our uh, activities, to, make, to, to bring it back to normality so that, uh, uh, so that we live a life that Allah Ta'ala wants us to live. And so people read more Salah, they read more Quran, they make more Zikr, they spend more time in the Masjid. Uh, they, 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 they don't go out very much, they don't socialize too much, uh, they don't do shopping so much. Uh, so all of these things are important things that we need to do. And of course, after Ramadan is over, we need to continue doing those things because that's the right way Allah Ta'ala wants us to, to live. And, and uh, uh, we should continue doing that. Yeah, absolutely, mashallah. And, you know, I want to look into these things that what, you know, uh, fasting does and the benefits of fasting. You know, uh, it is believed that uh, it supports uh, blood sugar management. Uh, talk to us about that, uh, how, you know, uh, in Ramadan, how uh, fasting supports uh, blood sugar management, uh, doctor? Well, you know, uh, with the diabe- diabetics, uh, previously, about 20, 25, 30 years ago, uh, you know, when, if you're a diabetic, then you are not allowed to fast because your blood sugar level, the danger was that the blood sugar level would drop very drastically and you uh, you would expose yourself to harm. Uh, so 
so basically, people who are diabetic 30 years ago, uh, you know, uh, they didn't fast. And But we realized that people who uh, wanted to fast and they're diabetics were fasting. And then uh, when, we, when we looked into it, the doctors, uh, we found that uh, diabetes actually improves during Ramadan. It actually improves, but there is a way to do it. Uh, it's, it's very it, it's very dependent on the foods that you eat during Ramadan. But the whole the type two diabetes I'm talking about, type one diabetics, these are people who are born with diabetes. Diabetes, they don't, their bodies do not produce insulin, so they have to take insulin to survive. Uh, so they are insulin-dependent diabetics. They, are, you, they can fast, but there are strict criteria for them to follow. Uh, they, have, they have to have good blood sugar control, and they need to be able to monitor the blood sugar very efficiently. But generally speaking, we say that type 1 diabetics uh, shouldn't really fast if their blood sugar levels are very erratic. But type 2 diabetics... Those who develop diabetes during the year, where they do have insulin, but either not enough insulin or the type of insulin that the body is producing uh, is not uh, good enough for, for their body to use, these are people that can fast and, in fact, their diabetes can improve drastically, absolutely drastically. And we've noticed that. We've noticed that a people's whole diabetes, uh, the whole um, uh, uh, this, this, the whole diabetes complications, um, the blood sugar levels, everything improves. Uh, and uh, so, you know, there, there's a way to do it, and you should consult your doctor on how to do it. But the immediate thing now for people with diabetes, what they need to do, if they, you know, uh, uh, and if they, they intend fasting, they need to now make sure that the blood sugar levels are controlled as best as they can from now till Ramadan comes. And they should visit their doctor and, and check the HbA1c level. The HbA1c is a test that we do, which tells us what the blood sugar level was, what the average blood sugar level was for the last three months. So that will tell them whether they're out of control or they're not, then they're in control. If they're out of control, they have five weeks to get the blood sugar under control before Ramadan starts. And that may be a manipulation of their diet and maybe manipulation of their medication to bring the sugar levels down to, so that the sugar levels are controlled before Ramadan starts. And that's what we need to be aiming for during these five weeks. So... Um, so a, a visit to the doctor, you also check the kidney, you check the liver, you check other, a few other blood tests, cholesterol and triglycerides, and, and then give you an idea of where you need to correct yourself and what you need to do to bring all these things under control before Ramadan starts. Five weeks, you, will be, you, you should be able to do that without any problems uh, and uh, monitor your blood sugar levels. At the start of Ramadan, you should be a good, in good diabetes control. And if you do that, uh, you will be able to fast without any problems whatsoever. All you will need to do then during Ramadan is to, is to readjust your medication dosages uh, for, for Ramadan. And uh, because you you know you you're not going to eat a very big meal at uh, at suhoor, but you're going to have a much bigger meal at iftar. Uh, so your your major dosage of your medication would be at iftar. The smaller doses doses of your medication would be at uh, at suhoor. 
Uh, in that way, and of course, monitoring of the blood sugar levels during the day for the first few days is very important to see what your blood sugar levels are doing. And, and in fact, uh, it's a good idea uh, for people uh, to fast during Shaban uh, and uh, just as a preparation to see what actually happens during the month, during fasting, uh, when, when you are when you are fasting and nafil fast in, in, in Shaban. Uh, if things go wrong, you can break the fast. Uh, so it's not a problem. Uh, and that will be like a test for you to see how your fasting will go during Ramadan. All these things need to be done from now. Shaban is coming in another week, week or 10 days. You will be into Shaban. And of course, you can start fasting then uh, just to test yourself to see how you're going. And I think that's very important uh, for people with diabetes to do that uh, so that they can get prepared uh, for Ramadan and, and have a good Ramadan uh, with the blood sugar levels controlled quite well. And, and of course, the ideal opportunity for people to lose weight during Ramadan. Um, and if you, if, you, if you have a correct diet and you drink things correctly, you should lose four or five kilos during Ramadan. And that's an, uh, that's an average for, for, for most people. Uh, they would, if, if, everything is, if, you, if you drink everything correctly, you should lose four or five kilos during Ramadan. Absolutely, uh, doctor. And, you know, keeping with our theme of, you know, the health benefits of fasting. And uh, may, many have said that it, even, even it uh, helps in, uh, uh, in uh, disease uh, prevention. What type of disease uh, will, you know, fasting stop, uh, uh, prevent us from, uh, doctor, or stop uh, what type of diseases? <clears throat> well, uh, you know, um, as we spoke about diabetes, where diabetes can really play havoc, especially towards the end of the day. Uh, when, you know, uh, Asar time, that's when the sugar levels may dip quite badly. Uh, and we know now that uh, hypoglycemia, where the blood sugar level drops uh, below 4 or below 3.8, um, and if the blood sugar level drops below that, it harms the body. It really harms the brain. It harms the heart. It harms the kidneys. It harms the liver, all every part of your body. It will it will cause a problem for. Therefore, we say that when your blood sugar level drops to that level or even lower than that, you have to break your fast. Otherwise, you are you are harming your body. So you you shouldn't really get to that stage. You shouldn't get to a hypoglycemic stage uh, when you are fasting uh, and with, with diabetes. So so it's very important for people with diabetes to make sure that they 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 have good control and they, they know what they're doing. Uh, also, the diet is very important because uh, for some reason, again, we have a lot of very sweet things during Ramadan, and that's not good for people with diabetes. They can have a little bit after a full meal, which gets diluted uh, with the meal, uh, but not too much. Uh, no, not, not too much of, uh, of, of, of sugary stuff, especially on an empty stomach. And, uh, and uh, the period to look out for is after Tarawi, because after Tarawi, your stomach is empty, and whatever sugar you put into it is going to go straight into your bloodstream. There's no buffer. There's no dilution of that sugar with any food. So it's, it's important not to have rich, uh, sugar-rich foods after Tarawi for, for people with diabetes. But that's one of the diseases. Uh, the other disease that causes a problem, of course, is asthma. You know, during fasting, we're not allowed to use inhalers and we're not, we're not allowed to nebulize uh, during fasting. So now that will break our fast. 
So we must make sure that the asthma is very well controlled before we start Ramadan. And now in, in now that there's very good treatment for asthma uh, to make sure that your asthma, uh, you can bring your asthma under control quite adequately. And as long as you maintain your preventative medication and take it throughout Ramadan, uh, you should be okay without really requiring any nebulizing or use of any short-acting um, bronchodilators during uh, fasting. So, and, and the medications are usually twice a day, so it should not interfere with the fasting. So uh, people with, with, uh, with uh, asthma should now from now on make sure, from now you've got five weeks to get your asthma under control, and that's what you should be doing. And, if you, and, and uh, the way to work out whether you're wheezing or not is just open your mouth, take a deep breath, and breathe out hard through, through an open mouth. If you hear wheezing, it means you are, you are wheezing. It means you're not in control. You need to have a clear breath with your mouth open when you take your breath out forcefully. It should come out quite clearly without wheezing. So that's a very, a very bru uh, a crude test to do, but it will give you an idea of whether, whether you are wheezing or not and, and whether you need to get your asthma under control. And, and the, tighter, the tighter you are, the more difficult it will be for you to expel your air with an open mouth. So that will tell you how, how much care you need to take to try and bring that asthma under control um, before Ramadan. Uh, the other problem people have is with uh, reflux and, 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 and uh, heartburn. And now here's another problem because people have uh, um, hiatus hernia, uh, they have reflux problems, they have heartburn. And of course, during Ramadan, all these things are going to get worse uh, because they're not eating during the day. The, the stomach is empty. There's acid in the stomach. And of course, the chances are that that's going to come up and cause a problem for them. But, and a lot of people uh, before used to say, I can't fast because I, I have an ulcer. But these days, we have a cure for ulcers. Uh, you know, nobody should really have an ulcer in the stomach uh, untreated. There's treatment available to cure the ulcer. So uh, if there is a situation, then they need to uh, take, uh, you know, get that sorted out now before Ramadan starts. And the people who have persistent uh, reflux and acid um, burning in the chest and burning in the stomach uh, before meals or after meals, uh, they need to really check out to check themselves out to see what's causing the problem. And try and get that under control in the next five weeks to, to a situation where there is no burning and no heartburn uh, so that you can go through Ramadan uh, quite clearly. And for those people who, after even trying to do that, they still have heartburn and they still have this reflux problem. Uh, and then what they need to do is they need to take a medication throughout Ramadan, uh, which will cut the acid levels down by about 60, 70%. And those are a broad group of uh, medications called PPIs, proton pump inhibitors. They can talk to the doctor about that. See, the, the, the whole group is called PPI. Try and take the tablet rather than the capsule. The capsule has got gelatin in it. The tablet is fine. So go for the tablet type and talk to your doctor about it. And if you take one of those every day, uh, you, you, you should not suffer from any heartburn or any reflux throughout, the, throughout Ramadan. Your fasting should be fine. So for that one month, you can take it every day and, and uh, you should be okay. So, but now is the time for you, if you can get it under control and uh, not use any medication, that's the aim. But if you, if you can't and you have to use medication, then there is medication available for you to use uh, uh, during the month of Ramadan uh, to try and make your life easier uh, with uh, heartburn and reflux.
Yeah, doctor, and Jazakallah khair for that. Uh, is there any truth in this uh, that they say, you know, you, uh, if you're a regular faster and you fast uh, maybe throughout the year and so forth, uh, that it may delay aging, uh, doctor? How true is that? Oh, I'm sure. Can you repeat that uh, question, Shavad? I, I missed that part. Okay. They say that uh, people that are prone to fasting, you know, out of Ramadan, in Ramadan, and some, you know, they keep the Monday and Thursday fast and so forth, that, uh, uh, you know, it may delay aging because they're fasting so regularly. How true is that, doctor? Uh, n- not really. Th- these are people who are, who are quite used to fasting. And so their body has adjusted to fasting. And... Uh, they, they get into Ramadan quite easily without having much uh, problems with their bodies. Uh, those people who don't fast during the year and suddenly start fasting, it's like a jolt to the body. Uh, and because it's a jolt to the body, that means suddenly you're not eating for 12 or uh, 13 hours. And so the body is suddenly, you know, so what's going on here? Uh, why, uh, why am I not getting any nourishment during this period? So what, what happens is that there is a sudden shift in the, how the body functions. Uh, so the, the body has to correct itself. So what it will do, it will bring down your metabolism, uh, it will make you slower, uh, so you feel a bit lethargic, you feel a bit tired, uh, and there's adjustment in your body that's taking place. There are fluid levels in your body that are re- readjusting, the intracellular and extracellular fluids that are, that are, that, that are changing uh, a lot of people get cramps during this period, period as well uh, because of the shifting of fluids between the inside cell and the outside cell. All these adjustments take, take about a week, 10 days uh, to, to adjust. But those people who fast on a regular basis seem not to go through this because their bodies are already used to fasting. And, and so it's not a, they may have a little bit of a problem, but not a major problem uh, because their bodies are quite used to, uh, quite used to it. Uh, so so they have, the bodies have adjusted. Uh, so uh, there is a difference. And, and uh, uh, that's why I think one of the things, uh, one of the things we can say, although uh, we, we know that Rasulullah used to fast a lot during Shaban, uh, and uh, that was like a preparation, uh, you know, for us. And, and, and if I can use the energy of uh, people who are going on a, on a marathon race or going on a cycle race, uh, they, they try and prepare themselves a month ahead, and they, they will do the same amount of mileage uh, that, they would be, that, that they would do uh, during the race uh, to try and, try and get themselves uh, used to uh, to that uh, uh, to the to the race. So in the same way, uh, we can fast a little bit more during Saban, trying to get our bodies attuned to fasting, so that when the fasting really starts, our bodies doesn't go into shock uh, suddenly with a with a realization that suddenly we're not getting food for 12, 14, uh, 12, 12, 14 hours. Uh, so uh, it's a good idea to fast. Uh, 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 yes, of course they are spiritual benefits. There are great spiritual benefits for fasting uh, during Shaban. And of course, uh, you know, the physical benefits are also there. And uh, we should take advantage of that. Uh, Habibullah says, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Dr. Me and all my family members are very fond of you. We actually have a smile on our faces when you come on. Uh, is it true that uh, Ramadan cleanses our body of all harmful toxins? and uh, that uh, we are like uh, newborn human beings after Ramadan. Uh, is that true, Dr. Habibullah wants to know that uh, yeah, all your toxins are gone, all your harmful toxins? Uh, yes, to a certain extent, your body would clear all the, all, all the unwanted, the, the kidneys get a chance, 
to, to try and clear your body of all toxins. The liver gets a, a rest because our 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 livers are like uh, like a, you know it's it's, it's 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 an amazing organ. Every bit of food or drink that we take has to go through the liver to for the for the liver to check it to see whether uh, it is uh, it is uh, food or drinks that can be used by the body. If it cannot be used by the body, the liver converts it. To a, to, a, to a way in which your body can use the food. So, so our livers play a very important part. And because we are not eating for 12 or, or 14 hours, our, our livers get a chance to rest a bit. And of course, uh, the, the, there's maintenance taking place. The dead cells are taken away, new cells are coming in. So there's like a rejuvenation of the organ. And the same thing happens with the kidney as well. And the same thing, same thing happens with all our organs. Uh, and so it's a, it's, it's a period uh, where our, our whole body uh, tends to re uh, realign itself and try and, uh, uh, try and get, get going again. But we spoil it. We spoil it by, by overeating after iftar, uh, during iftar and at night time. We start eating the wrong foods. We start eating a lot. We start eating the, we start, we start putting things in the body that are artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, that makes it very difficult for the liver to function properly. And, and uh, of course, we're putting a lot of pressure on the kidneys. We're putting a lot of pressure on the liver. So we are undoing all the benefits that we, that our bodies went through during the fasting period we are really undoing it by 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 being by doing all this but if we have a simple diet don't eat too much you'll be amazed if you don't have too much of iftar and you don't have too much of sur your fasting will go very well your body will be very happy it'll be it'll rejuvenate very well and you'll have at the end of the at the end of ramadan you'll have a wonderful a body coming out uh, with with uh, very few uh, problems so that's what we should be aiming for but many many people don't get any physical benefits from ramadan simply because they they eat too much they eat the wrong foods and uh, uh, they they just don't take care of themselves so you know we 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 shouldn't do that we shouldn't undo the good that fasting does to our body by indulging in things that are that are, that are going to create a problem for our body now, uh, Doc, I'll confess to you that I uh, do have dates, uh, but I have uh, quite a few dates uh, during uh, Seri time. And, you know, when uh, I make Iftar, it's dates again. I'm simply addicted to that, uh, Doc. Uh, so what's the maximum date uh, a fasting person can have uh, combined with uh, Seri and Iftar? Well, a normal person can have <clears throat> up to five dates a day, uh, five days at a time, no problem. Uh, that won't create a problem, but for people with diabetes, they have to be careful because some dates have got a very high sugar content, and they should avoid those dates uh, if possible. Uh, but if they cannot avoid those dates, then they must have only one or two of those dates uh, at a time. Uh, and uh, if they can, if they can have dates with a low calorie count, uh, and uh, ajwa dates are one of them. Uh, there are the, there are others as well. And you would know them because they would not be sweet. The, the sweeter they are, the more sugar content they have. So those should be avoided by people with diabetes. Uh, and if they do have to have it, one is enough. Um, they can have uh, another one uh, with uh, another one or two uh, with low uh, low sugar content. And so three would be the maximum amount of dates that a diabetes 
diabetic can have, but a person who's healthy without diabetes can have five or even seven dates without uh, without it doing any harm to the body whatsoever. Uh, Maksud says, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Dr. Farooq Afiji, you're simply the best. Uh, he says, uh, can incontinence uh, uh, indicate that uh, your kidneys are failing, doctor? Yeah, yeah. Our kidneys produce uh, urine, uh, and uh, it, it, so it uses water uh, to take all the toxins out of our body. And of course, uh, and it's a continuous process. So the kidney is producing urine continuously. So uh, Allah Ta'ala has made it very easy for us by giving us a bladder in which the urine collects so that we don't have to be dribbling all the time. Uh, so the, 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 the urine collects in the bladder uh, and uh, the incontinence occurs from the bladder to the outside. That's got nothing to do with the kidneys. Uh, is, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a bladder kidney problem. So it may be an irritable bladder, in which case um, the person will want to go to the toilet and suddenly they get the urge and they have to really run to the toilet, otherwise they'll mess themselves. Uh, that we call an irritable bladder. And of course, there are medications available uh, to try and make the bladder less irritable so that that doesn't happen. Uh, and there are different forms of incontinence, different types and different causes of, of incompetence, uh, in, in, uh, incontinence. And they need to check with their doctor to see what kind of incontinence they have. And there are, there are medications available and there are things that can be done to try and help with uh, with those uh, with that with that type of incontinence, and of course we have five weeks to sort yourself out before Ramadan starts, and of course it's quite annoying when you are fasting and you are make, you are reading the extra salah. Uh, sometimes it takes long, like tarawih, and you don't want to have a urine problem in the middle of everything, and you have to dash off to the toilet and pass urine and make wudu again and come back again and dash to the toilet again and make wudu and come back again. Uh, that's not funny and that's not very pleasant. So now's the time to try and get that under control before Ramadan starts. Get it under control to the best of your ability uh, so that uh, you don't have the problem during Ramadan. Absolutely brilliant, uh, doctor. So, Maksud, you got good news there. If you've got a problem, yeah, you can get medication. And uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's not, not uh, that, uh, you know, when you say your kidney is failing and so it's the bladder. I mean, it's a uh, it's something to do with age, doctor. I mean, generally people in the late uh, or 50s or uh, early 60s uh, get this type of condition. Uh, you, uh, as I said uh, earlier, the incontinence has got nothing to do with kidney function. So mm. they are two separate conditions completely. The kidney usually, the kidneys are usually okay uh, for the whole life of the person uh, unless it is disturbed by... Um, diseases which cause kidney damage. And the common ones are high blood pressure, uncontrolled high blood pressure, and uncontrolled diabetes, uncontrolled. If you control your diabetes and you control your high blood pressure, then the chances of you developing kidney disease is again small. But if you have uncontrolled diabetes, uncontrolled blood pressure, you're gonna put pressure on the kidney, the kidney is gonna die, the kidney doesn't rejuvenate, um, the kidney function will deteriorate as you get older, and of course prematurely, and uh, that's why people end up with dialysis uh, when they are 60, 
and 70 years old because the kidneys are now are completely ruined and it cannot function, it cannot do its function anymore. But this, this happens with years and years of uncontrolled diabetes and uncontrolled high, high blood pressure. Of course, there are other diseases, other causes that cause kidneys kidney disease as well, but I'm just picking out these two common ones uh, that, that really create, they are preventable, they are, preventable. Uh, they are things that uh, you can do not to get that, and, it's, uh, uh, and uh, so that's what we should be aiming for. Uh, the other diseases uh, that cause kidney problems, uh, there are quite a few, and those also have very, uh, treatments available for them, and they, that sh uh, they should go and see a doctor uh, to find out what's causing the kidney problem or disease and uh, try and sort that out if it's possible. But the earlier you treat kidney disease, the earlier you, you get it under control, the better the prospects. Talia, as usual, uh, Dr. Farooq Hafeji, a beautiful evening in your company, and Allah bless you for that. Uh, your parting words uh, before we let you go? But now's the time for us to really prepare ourselves. Like any big event that's coming up, like Ramadan is coming up, we need to make maximum use of, uh, of uh, 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 that month of Ramadan. We need to make sure that we are in peak physical condition to be able to make maximum use of the of Ibadah and make, make maximum use of the time for Ibadah uh, with our Salah, with our Zikr Allah, reading Quran. We need to be perfect. And uh, so we need to get our vision tested. We need to get our hearing done, if, if that's possible. We need to visit the dentist to make sure that the dental, our dental things are all okay. Uh, so that it's not going to create a problem during fasting. But in, in, so in all, we need to prepare our bodies to the best of our ability so that we start Ramadan uh, with, a, with a nice, healthy body so that we can fast and enjoy the fast and enjoy the Ibadah. Zakallah Doctor, you have a mashallah blessed evening ahead. And inshallah, I got a gut feeling you and I will have to do something in Ramadan. You know, generally we get that, uh, uh, I think, Sunday or Saturday. Would you say you like to choose, Doc? Saturday or a Sunday? You know, after Zahor, you, you and I come on. Would you say you want? Uh, hmm? uh, I think we're going to have a program on Sunday morning. Sunday so. morning. Okay, we'll do the Sunday morning one. Doc, you have a lovely uh, evening ahead. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan and inshallah we will continue after that.